Welcome to Secret Handshake, the podcast that covers movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. This week, spine number nine, 1986's Killer Party, with Canadian sorority girls, two false starts to the movie, and Paul Bartel. Jacob. Yes. I myself prefer a big, fat cucumber. I myself prefer a big, fat cucumber. Welcome back to another edition of Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and with me as always is Cody Bouchard. Yes, sir. And Martin Carlson. Good to be here. So, we're doing uh, some horror this week with 1986's Killer Party. We're venturing into the slasher territory, and me and Martin have... I mean, obviously, this is a uh, aural medium, let's say. We have the biggest boners that you can't see, but... <laughs> I'm genuinely like fucking excited because yeah. I love slasher films. I love talking about them. I love watching them. Yeah. Yeah. The bones are so big they could cut them off with guillotines. I'm propping the table up right now. It's amazing. But Martin, why did we choose Killer Party? Because I'm really curious. I mean, even when we were in the planning stages of this podcast, like you said the title and I was like, yeah, what? And you and this is your first time, right? Yeah, I had never seen it before. Even with as many slashes uh, as I've seen in my life, I'd still never seen Killer Party. So yeah. that actually ties into you haven't seen it either till this time, right, Cody? Correct. I think that leads into why I chose it because it was I think it was five five or six years ago. I am always on the hunt for more slashers. Like I'm hoping for that gem that I just haven't heard of that I can either sure. find on YouTube or randomly I'm on Amazon and I find some old DVD or a VHS or just something that's like 
that I can find and just be like, oh, it's a slasher. Because I've, I've seen so many of them over and over and over again. I've watched Final Exam like 30 times. So like I've basically run them all out. And I was on some list on Google and it was like unseen slashers, but every fucking list is like the horror films you haven't seen, but they're all films you've all seen. Yeah. You know? And I was, and I was like, Halloween four. Yeah. Like, it's like, Ooh, the like high tension, but it's cause it's French, you know? And it's a great movie. It's great. But I got, I found the DVD it was five bucks. It was the Warner archive DVD. Yeah. And I just found it on Amazon. I said, Oh fuck it. You couldn't even rent it. It wasn't even available on streaming. So I rented it and I brought it home and like we, like you said, it's a very weird first watch. And then I watched it again and I just really fell in love with it. And then the reason I chose it also for this podcast is I just introduced it to a lot of friends when I was in Atlanta. Right. It was this thing for like a whole year. It's the definition of a secret handshake movie. It now. is. You, like, you found a thing that you're like, well, we're friends now, so I have to show you this. Exactly. It doesn't even have like, you know. Battle Royale is a hundred times more known than this. Yeah. You know, yeah. like if you went to any kind of like film group and said that most people are no killer parties, like it's not to be like, Oh, it's so obscure and it makes it better. It's just, it's kind of an unknown film. It's not talked about a lot. It's not written about a lot in many slasher books either. Um, it's like mentioned in like Adam Rockoff's book, but like briefly. Yeah. Like even the only person who, when I was mentioning it, mentioning this movie to our contributors, the only person who had seen it was Brian Collins, who <laughs> is writing this week's article. So like, yeah, it's, it's little known. Like I, I mean, we should talk about your relationship to slasher movies to begin with, but like, you know, Cody, this was your first time seeing it too. Yep. Like, how did you feel when Martin brought it up? Like, were you ready for it? Or were you just like, what the fuck? I had absolutely no idea, no idea at all what to expect. And then, of course, it has the uh, the, the 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 double pump fake openings. Oh, my God. The double pump fake opening is like the thing I want to talk about the most in this movie because it's arguably the best part of the film while also not having anything to do with the rest of it. It's also just ballsy as hell. Yeah. Like, to say to, to however get however they got the funding together to say like, all right, we're going to make this movie and we're going to have two false starts. Well, I it, think they didn't have enough runtime. Yeah, I well, <laughs> genuinely think they didn't have enough runtime. Well, I also think that like it felt like a thing to where it almost like a production. Like uh, I think while we were watching it, you brought up Night Train to Terror, which was which has something similar to where it, it, that's an anthology movie from the early '80s. Uh, Vinegar Syndrome put it out like a long time ago. Yeah. It's like one of their first like handful of releases, let's say. Uh, but I remember seeing that for the first time again at an exhumed film screening at like three in the morning during one of their 24 hour thons and just being like, what the fuck am I even watching? Because it it's on a train where God and death are basically playing chess for like the fate of humanity. But in between there's this new wave band like that are dressed up in nothing but like spandex and leg warmers and stuff. And they're, they're doing a song. What is it called? Like everyone but you. Everyone's the- got something to do. Everybody but you. Yeah, yeah. So you know exactly what it is. But this has a, a very similar like opening to it because it starts with almost like a movie within a movie, and then it cuts to a drive-in, and then it becomes a, a music, music video. video. But the reason I bring up Night Train to Terror outside of like the comparable elements is the fact that like Night Train to Terror was like three or four different failed productions from different producers, kind of like spookies almost to where they, they Mm. cobbled it all (laughs) together 
And we're like, oh, how do we put this together? Okay, let's make it an anthology movie and let's have this band and God and death. And you watch it and you're like, am I on drugs right now? Like, is this real? But this has a similar effect at first because I was just like, what the fuck am I watching? But it also made me wonder, like, if they had one movie that they wanted to make, they started making it. Then they have the music video element, and then they're just like, oh, I guess we have to make a slasher now? I don't know. It's we- It's very bizarre. I want to know more about the backstory to this film. Yeah, I, 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 I tried to do more research, and there's not a lot out there. There's nothing out there. It's very... and um. And we don't we'll, even know who directed it. Well, William Fruitt directed it. Yeah. And we, I tried to look up his information to try and get an interview, by the way. Can't find a I, fucking I, thing. I also did. I, I was last week yeah. looking. So I was, I'd love to talk to him because this is like one of my, like, not favorite slashers. Again, we'll get, I think it's one of my questions later on is, even, is it even a slasher film? <laughs> you know, um, the elements are there, but it, it, it takes a while to get there, right? And they, William Fruitt went on. He was a Canadian director. They shot this in Canada. And they shot it in like 84 too. And it sat on a shelf for two years. Yeah. So they shot it. I think it was 83 or I think it might've been as early as 83, but like the the first wave of the slasher, they say died in 82. Um, The the actual, the boom. Now that's not because you have Halloween in 78, which kicks it off. And then technically you've got four solid years to where like 80s, obviously the high water mark with Friday the 13th. And then um, you have Halloween 2 in 1981. But like 82 you have, because 81 also is Friday the 13th Part 2, I believe. And then 82 has uh, Friday 3D. Dorm that drip blood. They had some kind of, some stragglers. Um, Yeah. When when I was writing my my paper on it, 81 in my mind was was the peak because that's when... Every studio from big to small was pumping out slasher films. Yeah. When because, was like the Toolbox Murders? Uh, that was mid-70s, 77, late 70s. I thought that was 1980. I thought it was 77. It, but You might be right. But yeah, and then Toolbox Murders is kind of a different story, but like with these straight up slasher films, and Toolbox Murders more has that grindhouse-like kind of maniac feel to it a little That's bit. That's true. Yeah. Um, but with, with slashers, like I think... 81, everyone was trying to catch up because you had a huge you know, success with Halloween Till till Blair Witch most expensive sorry most uh, profitable indie film of all time till Blair Witch, and um, and then you hit eighty, and fucking Friday Thirteenth comes out and yeah. blows the summer away. Yeah, Paramount and, becomes just bankrolling these things because they had My Bloody Valentine too. I yes they did, and that was eighty one. Yes, um, and the eighty one you had like Final Exam, which is a very small production. Um, you have my bloody Valentine. Um, you have a lot of sequels as well, like Halloween two. And you said like Friday 13th part two. And by 82, like you start to just kind of see it fizzle out a little bit, but people were, I think were already in production on shit. Um, like, Which is interesting of, though, yeah. because one of the other high watermarks that we talk about when you go through the slasher cycle is that like nightmare on Elm street doesn't come out until 84. Exactly. After the death in my mind, I don't consider that part of the first slasher cycle. Like it, it's a little bit after that first bump. Like it's still part of the eighties cycle, but it's like that kind of reinvigorated it again. So if we were to divide it into phases, how many cycles do you think there are? Are there three main ones? Yeah. So I would say, um, definitely the first, you have like 78, have 78 to, like to 82, 82 and then 84, 83 is kind of the fizzle out of 87 about, I would say the second. And then, cause honestly you had the late eighties ones that are like not 
besides the ones that were part of like other franchises, you didn't have a lot of original. And wasn't yeah. wasn't New Nightmare like ninety two? That was ninety four. Ninety four. Yeah. And then I, they. Sorry. I, th- I think if we're talking about it in like the primary three cycles, you gotta almost look at something like Jason Takes Manhattan, which is eighty nine, as almost being like the end point. And that was the death of that series for a time. Yeah. And also like everything else, all the other series were like, even you had Michael Myers come back in 88 with part four, the 10 year anniversary. Yeah. And then immediately with 89 the next year for part five, which is a, which is a mess. I love it in a kind of funny way. Um, Didn't they shoot them back? To, not quite back to back, but close. It was. I don't even know if four was out by the time five was already in production. It was one of those things where yeah. it was like, they were kind of almost back to back. Um, but again, the third, the third cycle, I, I think if we want to count the Neo slashers, that's kind of a different thing. I think that's like the return in like 96. Well, I think um, it's also in, interesting in like retrospect to where we look at something like Halloween three, which, you know, if is in history seen as roundly, it's almost, this is a strange comparison, but it's almost like the last Jedi of slashers. To where it actually made a decent amount of money, but was so roundly rejected by fans that that's what resulted in Halloween 4 and bringing Michael Myers back. But that's an interesting midway point in the first cycle there to where you have that in, what, 83? 83, yeah. And that's the moment to where, like... Might have been 82, I'm not sure. Carpenter's even signaling, like, I'm done with all this shit, this slasher. Like, I want to make an anthology project to where, like, every year... You basically get a new Halloween movie, but that's a self-contained kind of story. But he didn't want to do part two. Like yeah. they, they brought, they, they he, paid him a lot. He and Deborah Hill, they wrote it real quick. Well, like, there's the really famous, quick. the the famous possibly apocryphal anecdote to where he talks about, uh, you know, I looked in the fridge and there was no beer left, so I said, yeah, sure, I'll make Halloween too. <laughs> I mean, it's and I, I mean that's a whole other episode to get into. Um, which is our disagreement about that film and our love of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I like it. I just like Rob Zombie's movie more. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's real shocking how quick you said, yeah, there, Martin, but okay. Yeah. So I think Martin's that... the most diplomatic of the three of us <laughs> where he'll be like, yeah, that's cool. Fine. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Later in his room, son of a bitch. But I mean, to particular parties, I think that my understanding of what I've read on it is it was, greenlit and being filmed while the slasher first cycle was dying. Like sure. before nightmare came out and, and it was called the April fools. April fools was one name and there was another name and they were both kind of prank centric. Be- and then they changed it because paramount came out with April fools day. Yeah. And April fools day was coming out in him at six. Right. But it was right around the time that they were going like finally this gonna basically push it was, out. was made, it was sitting on a shelf and then they finally had a, a moment to put it out. But like, they were like, Oh, we can't call it the April fools because Paramount just had this movie that, you know, yeah. it's called April. And they Fool's had more. Day. Yeah. And it was MGM that put this film out. Um, the, I mean, you look at the film though, and it, I don't honestly, we could look it up the actual budget, but it's pretty damn polished. Like you can tell it like, looks great. Like the stuff on the college, it's like, a lot of locations, a lot of fucking characters, like shot that. on the same college campus as Urban Legend. Oh yeah, yeah, you were telling me that. It's, I think it, it's. I love the look of it. I love the feel of it. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's a really interesting. It's a really interesting film because it's like there's really nothing quite like it. It feels kind of slapped together at times, and 
Well, the slap together nature of it, apparently, as I was doing some research, came about because the MPAA took the hatchet to it. Uh, oh, a lot of the violence uh, originally like occurred on screen, but it's why you don't see any of the murders really is because the MPAA cut all the gore out. And that's why it feels somewhat disjointed at times. There's also a weird time jump that occurs in this movie. It doesn't make sense. That was going to be my question is how much time takes place in this film. It's almost like a full, it's like it like the first third takes place during one semester, like fall semester. And yep. then the second third, it became more clear because I got to watch this movie twice in the time that since we've seen it. And frankly, because I forgot part of it, because we watched it in October, I watched 40 horror movies in October and it kind of just got messed in, or missed in like the, the pea soup of my brain at that point. So I went back and rewatched it yesterday and rewatching it. It's a little more clear, but not much. Well, they. I think it's actually at that. That the timing stuff is poorly written. Like, yeah, they want to have their cake and eat it too, where they jump forward. Like, they start as pledges, and all of a sudden, they jump forward. They, they become they become full on pledges or full members. They jump forward to April. Like, it starts right. The first party is a Halloween party, and then they jump forward to April. And which but, is still a Halloween party for some reason. Well, it's a dress up party, yeah. right? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. But it, it's confusing too. You're like, yeah. oh, is this, and, but what's really weird about it? So it's an April Fool's party slash this like duo costume party, party, costume party for one fraternity, one sorority. I think they just wanted to film all of it in one day, so they're like, all right, everybody, bring two costumes. So we're just gonna switch back and forth. And well, uh, it's also a way to almost keep like the horror theme going. Is that it's like, okay, well now they're all in costumes, and we can also do the pranks like amidst all these costumed like college kids and. It, it, it doesn't really work, but you sort of see the logic behind it. But there's also like fucked up logic problems, like the relationship between our main character and her boy slash boyfriend is that they meet like at Halloween time. And then we're at the party later on. It's like their second date. Like they're just getting started. It's like yeah. you guys have been dating for six fucking months. Like it just doesn't. Like, the timing is weird. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It's like, did you guys just have an extended, like, Thanksgiving break or something and, like, not see each other? Because, like, you should be banging a, a lot. lot now. <laughs> yeah, because I think it's, lot. like, the first time they have sex yeah. is that night or second time or whatever. It's, like, early on. It's it's a bit of a mess. But, I mean, like, that's part of the charm of the movie because here's the thing about it is that you kind of mentioned how, like, we could almost argue about whether or not it counts as a slasher. I think it 100% does. Like, there's so many parts of the, the let's say, traditional slasher formula in it that it almost feels like parody to a degree because you have the, uh, you have the prank gone wrong, yep. which is you have the dead like son who is alluded to as maybe a nerd or no, he was like a, he was a college he was a frat boy, like Pledge, that died. Or yeah, something? it was during. It was a prank during Pledge night. It's very similar, actually, to the, the thing they were talking about with. Um, uh, we were watching Girls Night Out. Yeah, you know, it's a very similar thing of a yeah prank gone wrong. Also, bringing prom night. Too. Was the was the Pledge mother related to him? I forget why she. was That was her. Stone. That was his mom. That that was her son. Yeah, and she comes to like speak to the uh, the grave. Right, was She's, it is. Her son or her brother? Because well, didn't, like, didn't he die like forty years ago or something? No, no, it was no, it was right. recent. It was like it, I've got the impression that it was her son. But the thing that didn't make also, any sense. Also, who the hell is puts like, a headstone on a 
fucking that's, campus well, behind a frat property. house. It was yeah. fucking weird. It's almost like that. I, I've been rewatching all of the Friday the Thirteenth movies since that Shout Factory box set came out. Yep. And like, there's that weird moment in uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Four. Uh, oh, where there's bare side of the where road. there's Mrs. Voorhees's headstone is just like by the side of the road, and you're like, weird placement, but yeah, okay, I guess. <laughs> I mean, people put up crosses in the side of the road where people die. No, but it's like her fucking no, grave. No, they literally, it's like the gravestone, like it's a full cemetery plus her thing, right? And but also, like next to the road, it's All like right. it's part of the the Friday the Thirteenth mythos that just starts to get totally like bungled. It's like, so at what point did she, her body move from the cabin in the woods? To a grave, who paid for the headstone? Like, did Jason pay for it? And dead teenager coins or something? Like, I don't, I don't get it. It fucking doesn't make any sense. But so all the girls that he killed, he sold their underwear on a, a mail order service. Yeah, to and, like uh, one of those Japanese vending machines. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Hank yeah. Hill actually got one later on when he was visiting. You know, my girlfriend Carrie has always said that if we ever go, like, just to clarify, to go your broke, girlfriend's name is Carrie. We're not talking about the Stephen King. Yeah, every time that we like say like, oh, what if we go broke or blah blah blah, she always says, well, I can always just sell my pet, my panties in Japanese vending machines, and I'm like, what? <laughs> and I don't ever think she's joking. <laughs> she wouldn't joke about something like that. No. She would. She's like, I just use them, leave a little period blood on them, and it's good. They're like $30 panties. I'm like, what percentage do you get of that? Just got to get them, walk around a little bit, spray some perfume on them, put them in a Ziploc Well, no, bag. you don't want to perfume them. Like, that's what they're paying for. Like, they want that good. It attracts the bears, you know? <laughs> um, About the movie. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, I think that... Um... Martin gets so fucking upset when we get off on the real perverted tangents. <laughs> only, we're, only we're being recorded. When we're not being recorded, I'll say it. <laughs> Guys, they're using my real name. Get out of here. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I do want to keep my job and shit. But um, they, what's interesting about... Uh, I think the founder of OnlyGloves.com would be a little more loose with his content. You know, they... What's interesting about like, so this film, though, is there's a charm to the slap-togetherness of it. And yeah, 100%. I, if this film were made, if I saw this film at a festival, like made by modern filmmakers, I'd hate it because I feel like, I, I feel like it's a thing where you're sorry. It has, you know, it's kind of doing a satire Yeah, and it's like the fun. It's like watching student bodies. You're like, wow, this was like 81 in the mid. I was in the middle of like slashers weren't even it, like the paint wasn't even dry yet. Right. You know? And now it's like, if I saw this, it would be like, it's like, it's like, there's parts of Cabin in the Woods where I roll my eyes. It's like, okay, I already saw Behind the Mask, Rise of Leslie Vernon. Like, there's other people who've done it and other films where you're trying to do the, the kind of meta thing. But this was kind of all before before all that, you know? Sure. This movie also kind of felt like another movie that was shelved from the same era as the, uh, Blood Rage. That yeah. had, like, mm -hmm. multiple cuts uh, because, like, you had the whole, like, drive-in sequence in Blood Rage that starts it, and then you have the second half that literally just takes place at an apartment complex, which led to, like, the... There was multiple cuts of it. You had Blood Rage, you had Slasher, which is, like, the composite cut that Arrow just put out, and then you had Nightmare at Shadow Woods, which was the one that was, like, hacked to death by the projectionists. It didn't have any of the gore in it. Hmm. But, like, Shadow Woods is the apartment complex where the entire, like, massacre takes place in the second half. But that was another movie that was shot in, like, 1983 or 84 and wasn't released until, like, 87, a lot like Killer Party. But, like, 
the thing about the other thing I find about Killer Party that we can kind of debate on whether or not it fits as a slasher is that it almost becomes a hangout movie. Yeah. It's more like a day in the life. Like I bet you Eli Roth like loves the shit out of this movie because there's a huge stretch of it that's almost just like a college frat comedy. Yeah, and we talked about that when we were watching it that when you're watching it for your first time, you're like, Martin, where's the fucking horror? I remember you, yeah. you turned to me, you're like, you're like, dude, we're an hour in. Like, where are the kills? This movie's only 90 minutes long, and like all of the kills happen in the last 20 minutes, which yeah. I, isn't 100% rare in the slasher genre. But in this one, it feels especially egregious given the totally bizarre intro with the fucking drive-in and well, the music they, video and the zombies and like you're you get a expecting more, something more insane you get a couple more kill fake outs on the way yeah well the one the mom gets beaten to death with the paddle early yeah, on she actually dies right yeah she gets was murdered it, was it paddle or, or it was like the the banister it was a paddle it was a, yeah it was like a pledge it was a, it was paddle. A pledge, pledge paddle oh she was fixing a banister or something mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah exactly she was fixing a banister and then she gets her head caved in with a uh, a pledge paddle. Yeah. And then the one dude gets his head taken off by the uh, guillotine. Yeah. It's, it's like the best mannequin head you've ever seen. No, it's her head. It's the best mannequin no, head he, you've ever he seen. He gets electrocuted. Life. So Paul Bartel's the second guy to die. Yes. Paul Bartel, who on rewatch is one of the best parts of the movie. Like his professor is fucking amazing. Go. What is it? Go away, Martin. Go away, Martin. <laughs> yes. And then the, who, what is that kid from? Like who plays kind of the nerdy, so Born I think dog. he was on Welcome Back, Cotter. I mean, that's it. Yes, yeah. he was. Um, his name's Ralph Seymour. I think is his actor's name. Yeah, he was the. Uh, oh God, I'm forgetting the blanking on the main one. But he was the. Uh, he had the catchphrase in Welcome Back, Cotter that I'm fucking blanking yeah. on now. Dynamite. That's that's Jimmy Walker, <laughs> motherfucker. JJ Walker. JJ Walker. I was just watching something else though, and he popped up in it, and I was going to take note, and I didn't, so I fucked up. But he's this guy. He shows up a lot. Yeah. At that time, um, maybe it was a Stuart Gordon. Film. Anyway, but yeah, it's a. You're, you're right. It has this this weird like the flow of it is is strange. But slasher films in general like aren't the best paced films. They like no. A lot of them it is like hang out, hang out, hang out, and then hangouts continue while kills happen underneath. Well, they're very they're structured very similarly to like seventies porno, to where it's like. Here's the dialogue. Here's the dialogue that you got to get through, blah, blah, blah. Okay, here's the cum shot. And only in this, it's people getting stabbed as opposed to just ropes in the face. Yeah, well, there's this... Um, there's At least this, there's ropes involved in both parts. Ropes. <laughs> they, um, this film theorist, uh, Cynthia Freeland, I think her name is, she had a really cool article about how horror films, especially in the 80s, and not just slashers, but films like Hellraiser, especially like um, the Nightmare on Elm Street films with more special effects. Right was that they're structured like musicals and that it's like dialogue, dialogue, and then the musical number. And in, in horror films, especially the more special effect heavy, it's the horror number. So you watch like, you know, you watch for, you know, Freddy and you're kind of like, okay, watching the kids say stupid shit. And then it's like, okay, now it's the big, you know, animatonic Freddy or what are Giant we going to do? Giant getting sucked through the bed. Yeah. What are we going to do now? You know, and it's structured that way. Now, I don't know if I'm stepping on questions or not, but I'm going to ask Cody a question. Cody, what's your favorite slasher? Since me and Martin are fucking nerds, and I want to get into Martin's background, before I, but before I do that, I want to hear your relationship with the genre. Scream. Scream? Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I saw it when I was like 
I don't know, somewhere between 11 and 13. And I just remember viscerally, like I, it was a sleepover at a buddy's house. We'd rented it from Blockbuster. We put it on and the part where Sydney's running from uh, Ghostface and goes out into the van and has to squeeze through a little hole to get to like the front of the back or whatever she can get out. And he's just like right on her and swing. The, I was like, I was legitimately on the edge of the chair I was sitting in, like yelling at the TV, like, go, go, come on. And it was, uh, so yeah, it's a very visceral memory for me. So it pops out the most. Yeah, I feel like Scream was a huge gateway drug for like dudes from our generation or just people in general from our generation to where it was like oh shit slasher movies okay, well, that would, I mean would back. that be considered like the fourth wave of the rebirth of the so slasher so that's, that's the new birth of neo slasher right? yeah okay. so it's yeah that, that wave so it, like you go from that so you have urban legend and like um, I know you did last summer um, I'm trying to think of other oh valentine Urban legend, like we already mentioned, yeah. like was in the yeah Valentine was a big one. The urban legend duology, uh, the Scream, I guess quadrilogy we yeah. have now. Um, Three in that kind of first wave, and then yeah, um, well, and then four comes later. As that's Craven's last movie before he died, correct? I thought he did one more, maybe, maybe not. No, because my yeah. last one. And I like part four. Um, yeah, I do not. I don't. They're making a five. I think there's only one good Scream movie and the rest are, they're like, two is fine, three sucks, and four is worse. No, you know what? Three sucks, four is slightly better, but still sucks. Three is just terrible. I tried to rewatch it and it's it's garbage. Um, yeah, it's basic. Is that the Timothy Oliphant one? That's two. I love two. Yeah. Two is Two's the a college. One. And doesn't Jane Lynch oh, play the, the mom? One. At the Spoiler alert, three is the one Wait, where who it's plays? That's part four. Oh, well, I don't know. Yeah. Part You're, three is it's her brother. You want to, you guys want to hear something crazy? I saw Scream on opening night in the theater. I snuck in. I was like 13 or 14 years old and snuck in with two uh, girls that were like a couple years older than me. Packed theater, totally stole somebody's seat because it was sold out. And it was like one of the greatest viewing experiences of my life because that opening sequence with Drew Barrymore was unlike anything I'd ever seen in my life outside of like Halloween. Yeah. You know? I just because the rules are off at that point. You thought yeah. she was going to be the last girl. Well, and it's like before I knew like Psycho. It's the whole it's Psycho like, turn. Yeah, right. it's the yeah. whole like she's the Janet Lee of the movie. Hundred percent. And they do in part two with Jada Pinkett and Omar yeah. Epps. Same, but they know you expect it. I yeah, exactly. that was uh, Drew Barrymore's call too. Is like they wanted her for the Sydney role, and she's like, "No, I want to be the girl that goes out in the first. Yeah, it's such a great moment. Yeah, and they definitely like they put their foot forward too. Like they put her at the front of that group on like the poster. Like, if you look at the screen poster, it's not like she's just the side character. Oh, yeah. And it's nobody- a total fake out to where it's like, here's the biggest, like, name that yeah. we have, and she's going out. It's another thing that I miss about just, you know, the, the abundance of access to information we have about film and whatnot these days. It's, it's hard to get caught off guard anymore. That would have been spoiled by Saturday of yeah. opening, you know, weekend release if that came out in the age of Twitter. I remember when it came out, because I was in sixth grade, and... Um, there's a girl named Karen in my class. She snuck in. Damn. Uh, what, what kind of haircut did she life. have? What's that? What kind of haircut did she have? No, she was a basketball player. Um, Question still stands. No, like a not a Karen haircut. And this is also like, <laughs> this is also 1996. So, uh, but she had um, she snuck in with her friends. It was the same thing. And it was like this person coming back from like war. She goes. I saw Scream this weekend. We're all like, no one could go. We're all 12. Yeah. You know, and so the next summer, um, we were at my parents' cabin for the whole summer, and there was one video store near there, and they had one copy. And I would go there every day 
hoping that's when it was being returned because everyone wanted it. Wait, the entire store had one copy? Yeah, it was, it was in a grocery store. Okay. So okay. it was like a, a little corner, right? And Yeah, it was back when like, my grandparents lived on a ski lodge and you rented videos from the local gas station. Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. And, and the rural areas like that, it's totally, they still do that. You know? Yeah, that um, was in West Virginia. So. Yeah, and it's it was the same kind of shit. But I remember like the moment they had it, so my brother and I would look through like the just returned pile. Like they let you do oh, that. Oh, yeah. And they hadn't even scanned it in. My brother would go, I'm like, it's fucking here. We got Scream. And I watched it twice that night. And it was amazing. Yeah, face melter. Uh, just, that's a face melter. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Uh, I want to save your answer, though, about your favorite. Cause it kind of leads into Is that cool? That's what I figured. Yeah. yeah because like we're getting it. But before we kind of get to questions, one thing I did want to get to our audience is that you have an interesting relationship with slasher movies and that you wrote a graduate thesis about it for Emory yeah, University. Emory, yep. mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk about it. Like, cause I want to hear more. I do you have a copy of it. Yeah. I can send it to you. Yeah. yeah. I want it. Oh, I want to put it online. I want to read that motherfucker. I mean the writing it's, I wrote it 10 years ago and I, I reread it recently. And so I hate a lot of it. Yeah. But dude, we hate all of our writing. That's true. That's just part um, of writing. But it, um, Leading up just to why I wrote it, I I loved horror films as a kid. I was I think it was definitely the forbidden nature of it. Like the, my parents, they weren't like super sticklers, but it's like they're reasonable. Like you can't see Friday Thirteenth when you're seven, you know. And I was eight years old, and my friend Lindsay's grandma would rent us anything we wanted, and we rented Halloween two first because that's all they had. And I saw Halloween two at age eight, and I literally yeah. Um, it's fucked up. I turned my, Jesus. I was so afraid he was in my closet. I turned my entire bed to face the closet and I didn't sleep for a week. I just stared <laughs> in the closet That's a, because that, he was going to come out. That's super similar to a uh, story that my dad used to tell about seeing the exorcist for the first time when he was in college, you know, and he was a college basketball player at Richmond and like, he and a bunch of his teammates went out and saw the exorcist in the theater. And he swear, like to this day, we'll tell you, I went home and I put the dresser in front of my door because I was terrified that something was going to happen. And I was like, dad, did you think the dresser was going to stop the devil? Like, I don't fucking get it. It's something. Yeah. It's something. It's anything, I guess. I had a similar thing. And I think I might've talked about it on a previous, I'm not sure, but uh, paranormal activity like that. Oh no, you out. haven't. I think we talked about it one time. We do, we brought up that episode one episode. Yeah. yeah. When I after I saw that like that night, I went home and I was uh, staying at my parents and my dad was sleeping on a couch in the living room and I just like brought some like a I forget like we had like a some sort of mattress thing or something. I just like drugged that into the living room, put it in front of the couch, and I was like, I don't want to hear any shit, but I'm sleeping in here with you because I'm freaked out. <laughs> no, I get it, man. What was the movie? I don't know if. It, again, not to step on questions or anything, but like, do you guys have the one movie that you saw either when you were younger or maybe even at a later age, but like still to this day that you're like, I can't, I can't do it. Like I struggle with it or like it still fucks with me. I have one and it might shock you. I really don't know because I, there's nothing, I think I feel just very desensitized now. It's a lot of, I watch films over and over again. Um, I mean, honestly, when I was a kid, I mean, Halloween scared me so... Then I watched the first one, like, not too long after that, even though I was already traumatized. But Michael Myers' his face scared me so bad that, like, I was just... I, I wouldn't, like... It would be playing on TV, and I would want to watch the movie, but I would hide my eyes when he showed up because he was just so scary to, like, look at. So I'd say for a long time it was probably that. Um, I also generally think Texas Chainsaw is still a terrifying movie. It still really makes me uncomfortable to watch. I, okay. Yeah. 
Cody? I don't have one that like still terrifies me, but uh, one from when I was a kid, uh, The Gate, Stephen Dorf, <laughs> little baby dwarf. Yeah, baby dwarf. Yeah, little demons coming out of the backyard and then like the whole center of the living room getting sucked down into a, a hell hole. Yeah, that scared the hell out of me when I was, I don't know, eight whenever I saw that. Mine's Hellraiser. I uh, still that's, can't. That's I, a solid one to be messed I up with. I still can't watch it as an adult. Like, I seriously struggle with it. I Those films I've, are just hard to watch in general. Like, I think those are more difficult to watch than the Saw films are. Well, I try to, like, psychoanalyze myself over the years because, like, I watched it when I was a kid, like, probably 12 or 13 for the first time. Stuck with me. Couldn't sleep for, like, a week. And then later in life, even in my 20s, I watched it again. Had the same exact reaction almost. And then even now in my 30s when I rewatch it, like, I don't have as visceral reaction, but it still sticks with me to where, like, it'll take me a minute before I even fall asleep. I've thought about it how like maybe because it's so intertwines like sex and death and like religion how you're <laughs> fucking torture getting flayed well and the idea that well not so much that in the idea that like you derive or anyone could derive like intense pleasure from like torture and death and like dismemberment and stuff and that that I guess probably hit and I saw it for the first time while I was going through puberty and was like, Ooh, girls, boobs. Great. And now I was like, I can be punished for this. Fuck all of that. And it was like that. I think that's why it stuck with me the entire time. Plus pin, not even pinhead. The one that fucking fucked me up the most was the lady Cenobite who has the The vagina throat. Yeah. Has the, the throat that split open the whole time. Cause I always have a thing about throats. That's bad. Like any, in any movie, like you can show me an arm getting lopped off and then somebody beating someone else to death with it. And I'll be like, ha funny. But if somebody gets their throat, like graphically slashed, like we brought up, uh, high tension earlier. Yeah. Oh, that that yeah. one where like the girl gets her throat like basically like sawed, where her head's almost like sawed off with a fucking razor blade. Yeah, that's one of the most disgusting thing, and it makes me gag and almost feel like I'm gonna puke every time I watch it. It's something about throat slashing that I'm like, no, thank you. Yeah, it's um. So does the guillotine mess with you then, or is that just a different beast? No, because to me that's just quick. It's like your head's off, you're what? fucking dead. All right. Um. Oh, I'll finish real quick about the thesis, if you want me to. Um, yeah. About, uh, before we go to questions. But yeah, basically, I was in grad school, and I wanted to write about something, and, um, what are you doing? <laughs> um, and I, uh, Jacob was looking at me strangely from behind, <laughs> behind the microphone. Um, but I was, so yeah, I was reading, a, um, I was reading this film theorist, like, Vivian Sobchak, who wrote a whole thing about film noir, and how film noir can't actually be considered a lot of people couldn't find a way to call it a genre because the stories were so different, right? It was like the setting was similar, but like they could be war films, they could be crime films, even though there were Western noirs. And for her, she like wanted to find like, how can you make it a genre? So she basically found it in the places. So it's like, um, like roadside motels, like nightclubs, bars, like that's, that's what creates the genre. And so I was like, oh, cause a lot of people had also said slashers kind of have a lot of variety in terms of like, yeah, it's about a guy killing a person, but there's more there. And for me, it was a lot of the locations, like a lot of them are, you know, either houses run by a babysitter, sorority houses, college dorms, um, or camps, summer camps. Yeah. So, and for me, it was all places where, um, surrogate parents had failed. And so this idea, like, is this, like, at that time too, there was a lot going on. It was the end of the, um, Carter era and going into the Reagan era, it was like this kind of the Carter malaise and like the American family was like, it always is kind of 
on the rocks. And they were basically saying that, and there were like an up, an uptick in kids going to camp, these places that parents just didn't want to deal with their kids anymore. And yeah. so that kind of idea, the horror like sprang from that. So I kind of just went down that road and just watched. It was mostly, it was all about 81. Sorry, not up to 81. So I watched like Halloween, uh, Dormant Drip Blood, Final Exam. The Burning was a big one. Um, Love it. Which got, which actually is one of those films that gets considered a ripoff of Friday the 13th when it was written and made at the same time. Um, well, and Savini left. That's not 100% true because Savini left and went and made the burning after Friday the 13th. I think they were, they had already written the script though. Sorry. Yeah. I may have misspoke. I'm sorry. I misspoke, but yeah, they, but the idea of it being like this ripoff is not, is no. not true. You know, no, it's just doing, it's playing in the same sandbox essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and I think even when he had the, the guy, had the idea for hell's, he had a idea for like summer party. Um, sorry. Uh, sleep boy camp. It was the same kind of thing. Like Friday the 13th at that point was not even out yet. And well, I think there's something interesting and maybe we, we save it for questions a little bit too, but to co- go back to like the adolescent idea of like sexuality too, is that these were the places like you bring up sleepaway camp and that's one of the most interesting slashers ever made to me because it's all about the places where adolescent feelings about sexuality blooms yeah. in a certain way. And that movie is clearly, if you view that movie through a queer lens, like oh my God. it's doing a thing very intensely. Well, the and college spaces are like that. I think yeah, college spaces is very well, babysitters, babysitters, you know, not the kids, but the babysitter has a space to exactly. Halloween's yeah. all about that as well. And yeah, exactly. And then it's just, well, I mean, and even Carpenter taps into it a, a little bit too, with the with two the kids. Well, no, with the, the two kids that, um, you know, Laurie Strode is watching, they already have a weird little budding, quite uh, almost like brother sister, like playful relationship. And they sleep together. You can, exactly. That you could eventually go, well, maybe little Tommy dates her eventually. So like, yeah, these movies are all creating these quote unquote kind of safe spaces to where these ideas of like, and, and themes of like sexuality kind of blossom, let's say. And then these maniacs come in and literally punish them for it. So it's real interesting stuff. If you start to break from movies that are like a critically reviled yeah. at the time and still critically reviled. And some pretty not much that well made. The there are some that are poorly made films. Well, all a lot of, the, of them. <laughs> all of the Friday the 13th movies are technically bad, but I love them to death. I've watched them all probably like the Friday the 13th films, like straight through probably the franchise out of anything that I've watched the most. Like if you were, you know how people are with like fucking star Wars and the MCU now is like, I scoff at those. But if you were to release a new Friday the 13th movie today, I would be in line and I'll be like, and I would just be like rattling off the mythos and being like, well, and two, he's got a bag and three, he's got a fucking mask. And then here that the continuity's weird, but then here it comes back. And then Jason goes to hell. He's a fucking body snatcher or like, and then he's in space and Jason X. And then there's Freddy versus Jason, which doesn't really count as a Freddy or a Jason movie, but like, whatever and like yeah i would be a total fucking nerd i would be the way that people are like canceling baby yoda right now <laughs> yes um why well, it's a good place to transition yeah do we want to do questions let's do now it. that i've just outed myself as like a total geek <laughs> well i mean i don't think you did that now but i love you cody love questions you time
We're back with questions about 1986's Killer Party. Martin, this is your party, so I'm going to swing it over to you. All right. So first question is, if you could add one more fake-out segment to the beginning, what would it be? Would you have something that comes before the funeral or something in between the music video and the girl sitting at her mom's house. All right, so we should explain the intro sequences because we haven't really detailed what happens. We just kind of hinted at it. So, like, you have the movie within a movie, which we don't know that we're watching. Yeah, so just straight up starting, it's a funeral of an old woman being buried. It's like a gothic horror comedy It has To me, that had, like, a strong Sam Raimi vibe to it. Kind of, yeah. Because you're, like, moving through a gothic graveyard... They have the a preacher, funny funeral. The, yeah, the preacher's preacher, like flamboyantly gay, kind of. Was it? Isn't the preacher like kind of giggling through the No, whole he's just supposed to be very effeminate. Yeah, like, he, and he's making some weird comments, but then they call him like... Imbecile. An imbecile on the way out, and padre. <laughs> like, it's really goofy. It's it's weird, but the, basically for the listeners, like it's, it's a basic horror setup where they're going to bury this woman, and everyone goes outside, and her... Um, daughter-in-law says, I want another moment to say goodbye to mom. She goes in and basically curses her mom. The casket opens. She gets dragged inside. Then she gets uh, brought down below in the crematorium and then burned alive. Yeah, and then we realize we're watching a movie within a movie. We're watching at a drive-in. Yeah. It's on a drive-in screen, and then we're hanging out with these two characters, a young girl and her boyfriend, Stotch. Um, who's, and Who's trying to get laid. Yeah, and it's just, you know, again, classic, like, again, they're doing generic kind of setups here. Um, they're watching it. She goes to get popcorn. The whole concessions area is empty. She comes back. He is now a zombie. Everyone is zombies and monsters. We think it's a horror film. And then it becomes a music video. Yeah, with a, a Canadian rock, like hair metal band. Yeah, their name is White Sister. They're also on the Fright Night soundtrack. Oh, that's a real band. Yeah, they're a real band. No shit. Yeah, because he sounds a little bit share, like share if you close your eyes. Um, and I, that's I d- what you're gonna do. Like, it's. I still have the uh, playlist queued up on my laptop, so I'm definitely gonna do that once we're done recording. Oh yeah. Just shut my eyes and be like, did Cher sing the opening song to Killer Party? It's. It really sounds a lot like it. Um, and then we go from that. So it's not hair metal. It's share metal. Dad jokes. Dads. Yeah. Uh, and then they watch this music video and then it even brings in like music video credits like MTV credits in the bottom corner yeah. White Sister Columbia Records and then it pops out and it's a young woman in her mom's house watching TV now we're in the real world yeah it's movie within a movie within a movie yeah which felt like oddly meta in a way to me and it also made me wonder again when we're talking about like whether or not like does this count as a slasher like it's clearly self-aware that it it like exist within this pop culture universe that's already kind of been digested and then regurgitated out us via music videos. So there's mm-hmm. something kind of interesting about that. But again, it's never really brought back to the surface at all. And I think you brought it up too when we were watching it that I think one of two things happened. Like you were saying earlier with Night Train to Terror um, that maybe they had extra footage from another film. My thinking is they just didn't have enough to make runtime because the film was like not even 90 minutes. I think yeah, that's with true. those added, they might have had the studio say, you know, you're at 88 minutes and it m- or like 78. Yeah. Because or, like that. Oh, opening, sorry. 78. It, that intro goes on for a while. Both of them add, yeah. you know, and so 
But the question remains, if uh, if you had to add like an extra, like you think about Scream 4 did it, right? Where it's like, what, five false starts to Scream 4? And then all the different, you know, big stars. Um, and I'm not sure what my answer is yet, but I wanted to throw it to, I'll throw it to you, Jacob. Um, so you got the movie within a movie, and then you have the music video. Well, it's a... It's a movie within a music video. Movie within a music video, video, which the music video is being digested by the... You know what would be kind of interesting if you wanted to go down the path of like, oh, this is a meta commentary, like kind of before it's time, like Student Bodies or Pandemonium or one of those movies that was kind of satirizing uh, slasher movies at the time. What if you did a movie within a music video within another movie to where like she is watching it and then goes on a babysitting gig and fights a masked killer that she escapes from before the killer party title even rolls. That would be my addition to it to then it kind of clues you into like, or maybe she's not a babysitter because it wouldn't really fit with the college theme. Maybe she goes and gets stalked at like a, like a after school, like study hour or something and then it goes to killer party. It's like maybe she's holding the invitation or something. Something to like tie it back to where, again, it feels like it's being a meta commentary because like it, it's almost like on the cusp of being really clever. <laughs> and then you're like, well, you like it's still cool, but you didn't quite get there with like it actually meaning anything. Yeah. So maybe something like that. Cody? So you've got the movie within the music video. And then our main character is watching the music video. Mm -hmm. So if you go from that, I would take it to where uh, the main character plays through for a bit, maybe 15, 20 minutes, and then finds herself uh, in a a chase with the killer, but then ends up getting killed. And then the screen fades to black and it says, you've died. And then a person in modern day 2020 takes off their Oculus VR set and is like, damn it. And then they got to go pledge for the... to frat they're trying to get into and then the real movie starts you know to bring it back to the pledge idea that cody just brought up instead of it being an invitation to a party in mine what if it's like a pledge bid or like a pledge invite or something and then it's like explored from there like ties into the movie because the other thing we haven't gotten into is the simple fact that like there's a weird supernatural element in the end to where yeah. like the ghost of the dude who fucking died comes back and is possessing her. And he has been the killer. He's been possessing. It's her a total time. prom night two like thing that's going on. That is totally batshit and like takes the movie in another dimension. Yeah, definitely. I, that's why they, when the film like really like kind of comes into its own where they also spent a lot of fucking money. You can tell in that last sequence, like they have like the wall crawl where they have, they obviously built a sideways set they have like really great stunts uh, as well with like flipping and wires. They also have like the falling down of like the banister and the whole the stairway. Well, and watching it for the second time, that's actually the one thing about the script that it actually does well is that it builds up her possession because mm-hmm. she's one of the other pledges that's going through that we have again haven't really gotten into yet. Is that like this is very night much like a, a pledge movie like hell night with Linda Blair mm-hmm. or um, girls night out as a little girls bit too. night out uh, the initiation mm-hmm. with Daphne what? Zuniga Zuniga from Spaceballs and Spaceballs during the drip blood. Oh, that's right. She yeah, is she's in the one of the first the kills. Blood. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I just remember. Her from well, she's Spaceballs. all over Spaceballs. Yeah. But um, yeah, that would be. 
That'd be my answer. I would do um, that the girl's watching TV um, and then we go through her entire life and she becomes, she lives a happy long life and becomes an old woman dies. And then it's her funeral from the beginning. And then it starts all over again. Yo. Yeah. Yeah. That's you've thought about that for a while. I just thought of it right now. Seriously. Oh, for real. I was just, just like, I was it's like, like the, I didn't have an answer. <laughs> it's like the up of slashers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But no, I think it's just like it is interesting to ask that question because, again, it's the maybe the most memorable element of the movie is the two fake out openings. If I had to like, in terms that of the, one, the, the weird thing it does. Well, and that ending. and the killer's uh, diver outfit at one point yeah. because this is one of the most bizarre outfits of any slasher movie ever. It looks like, I think Cody said it looks like a Scooby-Doo character. Yeah, yeah you know? 100% like, does. Like a Scooby-Doo character. There's yeah. also the, just a side note as I thought about it, uh, there's also kind of the fake out. Of the killer being the the weird stocky guy because you keep seeing yeah. his, his shoes yeah. and pants. Martin Martin yeah. <laughs> who ends up dating the friend even though he's still stocky he bang he bangs the, the hot nerdy yeah. girl yeah. yeah who was only in this and final exam yeah Sherry Will Spurts yeah they're parked outside the, so he's he's dating the hot friend and they are parked in a convertible outside of the main girl's dorm window. In which she's, she's losing she, her virginity. She's, that guy. She's trying sense. to bang him, and he's just looking at the window of the friend, being like, "Well, hold on a second. She's like, "No, touch me, kiss me, make me feel things." Yeah, it's really um, when you also have like the guy she's trying to that uh, the main character is trying to have sex with is Martin Hewitt. This actor who we didn't talk about during the first section is. Um, from what I read about, the studios were trying to make him the you next... We were talking about this while we were watching it, is that he was supposed to be like the next big thing. Yeah, and they... Because he's a good-looking dude, but he had just done um, Endless Love with Brooke Shields, and he's the he's the guy in that. And so, like, everybody was trying to, like, get him for movies, and, they, and his, his agents were like, no, he's going to be, like, the next young, like, hot movie star, and it just never happened. Yeah. And this was... This film came out also... After that, it already fizzled out. Like, it was like, who know? was the kid from Blue Lagoon who went on to be in the stripper movie? Oh, shit. The Ronnie Rocket movie or yeah, whatever. I forget. Yeah. That was made by John Alvidson, who... Uh, did Rocky? Who did Rocky. Um, heaven, not Heavenly Bodies. Ah, I'm blanking on it, but as the Brian Adams song, I'll look it up later, but it's the <laughs> male... It's like the original Magic Mike from okay. the 80s. But that was the kid from Blue Lagoon. So Brooke Shields the curse. <laughs> yeah, she cursed her male leads. Is that she went on after being murdered in one of the proto slashers in uh, Alice Sweet Alice? Good movie, great movie. Um, you know, went on to just be way bigger than every male star that she had. Anyway, uh, question two. Atkins? Yeah, Chris Atkins. Second question is one of my favorite things about watching this with you too is we. <laughs> You and I, Jacob, went down a rabbit hole of fraternity memories. Yeah. And. God damn it. But that was super fun. This is like, this is like their revenge for me always bringing up every awkward sexual situation up to this point. Yeah. But we can, you know, we can go as in depth here as you want or not. But I think that was fun is that we were just telling stories Go as deep as you want, or we can keep it just the tip, you know. I was going to say that, but I decided to go around it. Um, I only do full shaft, so let's go. But I'll just ask you, 
How realistic do you think this depiction of fraternities is based on your experience? I can answer as well on my experience. Not very. Um, I think every, I think that's one of the most fascinating parts of both um, slasher, for like say college bound slashers and fraternity comedies in general is that they're either incredibly exaggerated or they're too tame. This one to me being too tame uh, because you're kind of right. My experience with both pledging a fraternity and being in a fraternity for four years and being pledge master of a fraternity in my junior year. Um, and also all the sorority fucking hijinks I heard about, like it's always somewhere in the middle to where it's, it's extreme, but not like to the nth extreme. Like I, Never saw a toga party. We did one once, but it was like ironic. You know what I mean? It, yeah, it we was did not. Self. We just drank beer. Yeah, I. Th- I think um, and did a lot of drugs. Ours were pretty goody two shoes. Like again, I think I told you we recolonized. So we were all like juniors when we joined. Yeah, because you said that Greek life had gotten kicked off of your campus the year of or the year before. So it got kicked. So all Greek life was not shut down. But all of the fraternities were kicked out of their houses. Okay. So they were the house. If the houses were still owned by the national fraternity, which is funny, so they rented them to Denison University. Why were they kicked out? Because it was 1998, and it was a shit show. Like literally, like the North Quad, which is where all the fraternity houses were, was like literally on fire. Oh, is it the two mattress thing? Yeah, there was the, the rumors. They put a kid between two mattresses and threw him out like the second floor, second window. floor off a balcony, and that. Well, they taped the mattresses together. Right? Taped it together. Again, that might just be that might just be a you know urban legend for yeah. the school, but you know I I our fraternity was very good at teachers, but I did go to fraternity parties. Sure. Um, I I mean. Definitely the limit of like the level of pranks they do. We, like you said, you didn't do pranks like that, you know? Yeah. Here's the thing that is weird is like there were rituals, quote unquote, mm-hmm. that you had to do as a brother. You had, you had to learn the fucking creed. Too, yeah. You had a big brother. You had a whole pole pin party and everything. Um, you had, uh, you know, you did have hazing and things like that. Most of our hazing was just drinking, yeah, like extreme drinking. Um, but like, you, yeah, you didn't have pranks, you didn't have panty raids, you didn't have toga parties, shit like that. Like, you threw parties. We threw parties now that whose themes I'm probably not going to repeat in public because as a bunch of white kids in the middle of North Carolina, like that would get all of us canceled. But like you had inappropriate parties, let's say, yes, you there were a lot of ladies around and a lot of sex and everything and a lot of drugs and all that. But like, I don't know, there's other, th- I'm trying to think of the other things that just didn't happen on top of like... Uh, were the there games between the the different Greek houses? Not really. Like you did have a Greek weekend, and but that wasn't really a thing. Like you had, um, we you had, know, in intramurals we, had, we, had, we, we all we had, had DG man, um, D, basically Delta Gamma week, which was like day ran. It was a whole week of like events for the sorority and all the fraternities. What did you call, DG man, DG man, DP man, DP man. That was that was at night. Okay, um, but. 
basically, rough weekend. Yeah, indeed. Uh, but there was a whole week of like competitions between the fraternities. Um, okay. Kind of things. We did have, but it was all sanctioned. Yeah. You know, like everything was, we didn't have, and there was some uh, interfraternal um, rivalry. Rivalry, but nothing that like got, again, I think partly because we didn't have houses. Like, I think that goes sure. a big way is that all the houses, like, there were some kind of satellite houses, like we talked about, the kind of guys made into okay. fraternity houses in a way where it's like, oh, we, this isn't our fraternity house, but it's our fraternity house. It's like five guys yeah, we together. Yeah, we had quote unquote uh, off campus houses. Exactly. It was like that. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you had that. Um, I'll tell you what, we had one uh, sorority that was on campus that was more hardcore than the dudes, and they were the Tri Sigs. And I think I told you guys the story while uh, we were watching the movie is that they had the craziest, uh, let's say, hazing that I'd ever heard to where they made all the girls um, in their class go and steal a uh, giant roll of that kind of industrial toilet paper right. from the bathrooms. And then they went and took them all out into the woods, made them sit on it. And the first person who pissed themselves was the one who got thrown out of the sorority. Um, which I was like, yo, I didn't do anything that fucking hardcore. So you guys are badass. But these girls were like, they were the toughest girls on campus. They were the ones that like, wait, was hung, it the first that pissed themselves or like it had first that pissed themselves and I, soaked it through. Wouldn't you say then with like fraternity movies in general, movies that deal with fraternities, that's like, it's wilder and crazier in a way that wasn't always the case, but also sometimes not as dark as reality. Like no. some of the stories I heard from my college too was like fucked up, like abusive, horrible shit. That well, is like, like not, and they have like hazing films like Haze that have like dealt with that. We but. never did like the thing that uh, like old school does where you tie a bunch of bricks to mm -hmm. your dick and then like drop it off. <laughs> like that was never a thing, but like, yeah, some of it was fucked up. So yeah. And I was talking about your fraternity in general and specific, but just like, I think just stories I've heard about other fraternities that movies like don't do them justice in the right way. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, well also next question would be, um, let's talk about slasher films here. And this is kind of the question we got on earlier, but you know, Cody talked about Scream being his favorite, but where does this rank on like your slasher lists? Um, what are the top of your slasher list and what, like where are the stand on that? Probably hell night. Mm. Maybe. Uh, but like, no, this would be middle of the road. Yeah. But again, want to save the rest for later. Totally. Cody? I'd put it a little further down the list. Uh, we said earlier, Scream's my probably favorite one. Um, would you consider Christine a slasher? No. No? No? I mean, it's supernatural. It's picking people off one by one in, no, in that's, that's creative what, ways. Yeah, but it's a monster movie in the end. Well, yeah. How, how is this one not a monster movie then if it's people being possessed by a demon or a spirit? It's a fair question. It's it's but, where it's where it gets a little sketchy, but like is Demon Knight a slasher? No, no, not at all. Okay, a slasher like that's why it's like one of the reasons I try to write the thesis with it. There are these rules where people say, "Oh, it's a slasher." Like people, I've heard people call Hellraiser a slasher. It's not a slasher, um, and 
for me, there's like simple, like there's the elements of usually some kind of mass killer, either alive or dead. Um, usually a, a physical human manifestation of that killer is the slasher. And they are, I mean, even Freddy, that's a slasher, but you know, he's using dreams, but it's still like just picking up these people off. Right. Well, and there's the revenge element a lot of the times too yeah. that Freddy embodies. Freddy's got the revenge element. When you th- actually, what's interesting is like a lot of early slashers and Scream got back to this were mysteries. Like a lot, yeah. a lot of the ones in the '80s were like Prom, Prom who, Night has that. Who done it? Yeah, who done it? Prom Night watched last night. Uh, Terror Train. You know these like mysteries and mysteries of who is the killer. Well, it's a lot like the Italian giallos of the same time. Exactly. That, you know, a lot of people cite that like. The Friday the 13th movies, particularly one and two, like directly stole murders from Bay of Blood and Bava. But like, yeah, the the Giallo movies were literally like murder mysteries just with extreme gore and violence and usually a great soundtrack. Yeah. And most of the most of the Giallos, though, you don't have that like. A lot of them aren't about that isolated place the same way you get with like a slasher film. We have this. A lot of those I like are more. They're more mystery heavy. They're more like locations. They're usually like more adults. It's not always just young teenagers being picked off. Yeah, it's almost never teenagers. In yeah, I'm uh, I'm trying to think of a teenage based giallo outside outside of like what did you do to Solange would be a what, but that's even demon. Demons isn't really a giallo at all. No, not it's at just, all. It's just Italian horror. Yeah. Um, there's not many, but yeah, you you are correct. Is that they're all they're more like Ag- Agatha Christie stories than yeah. anything. Usually, a cop is a main character uh, or yeah. someone there. But Franco Nero or or Tomas Milan is in it. Christopher George hanging out. Yeah, just in the background. Anyway, yeah. Wh- what what were we talking about? Uh, so, but for slashers, yeah. Where does it rank? Um, Ooh, is seven a slasher? No. <laughs> I creative murders who done seven it. is a serial killer film, which is a little bit yeah, different. Seven it's, came be, that's a totally different cycle that you need to talk about because you had the serial killer movies that silence of the lambs really made popular during right. the nineties. And then they had their own cycle and it started to die out. And then seven basically remade like David Fincher remade the serial killer movie in his image and that's, but that's a totally different And we're still genre. Kind of living in it, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, thank God. Um, but it's interesting you ask that question though, Cody, because like it is a thing that like, it is a slippery genre, you know, and there are films that kind of are on the cuffs, cuffs sometimes. Like for instance, like we have super ele- supernatural elements in this one, mm-hmm. but for me, same with hello, Mary Lou. Yeah, for exactly. me, like, what makes this a slasher though is the trappings. Is is being at a college? Is the setup the way the characters are introduced? And it's funny you're saying this feels kind of like more like a hangout movie. And again, I think a lot of slasher films are hangout movies. Yeah, to one degree <laughs> or the other. You know, and it's like, but there's an element. There's a kind of like a balance sometimes of okay, how many kills are you getting? Because I mean, even Friday Thirteenth which does have quite a few kills when you compare it to Halloween. Oh yeah. There's still a lot of like downtime when they're, when they're like after Steve Christie leaves and they're like setting up the camp and they're like hanging out in the water. It's like Jesus fucking Christ. And I love it. Well, I mean, two does it too, because two has that awesome intro scene where they kill off. Yep. uh, Adrian Bar or not Adrian, Adrian King, Adrian King from the first movie. And then you have that entire period where it's just a bunch of teenagers, teenagers going back to reopen Crystal Lake again. And no, they're at becomes, the training camp. Yeah, the training camp. Yeah. To where they're just 
like basically waiting for that. And then it becomes a hangout movie again. They even go to a bar. You go to a bar with these people. And it's, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, these films are all kind of on the line. And so what was interesting for me, one of the reasons I like this film and it's, it's higher up my slasher list is that what I like about a lot of slasher films are the hangout elements. Like I'm a huge fan of like films like American Graffiti and Dazed and Confused. And I like being in those films and so I get a lot from some slasher films. Like, I know it's not a slasher, but for instance, you don't like the Boogans that much. Um, but like, that's what words in your mouth, as much as I do. Um, that's true. That's true. But for me, the Boogans <laughs> I like because I like the characters so much. The if Moth- I can note, there is a poster on the wall. Is yeah, it the Jacob Boogans right or now. the Boogans? I always thought it was the Boogans. It's the Boogans. Is it the Boogans? Yeah. I haven't watched it in a long time. Yeah, it's... Well, it's, um, it's one letter off from Boogers. So. Yeah. But it's basically... I like the characters so much. And so... I put this high because it's all about what you want from a slasher film. Now, in terms of great, like, good kills, you know, and and good setup, this film doesn't have a lot of those. Versus a film like The Prowler, which has some dead time, too, but has some amazing Tom Savini kills. Yeah. Like, ridiculously some of his best. Or even some low-budget stuff like Blood Rage has yeah. some amazing stuff where, like, the hand getting cut off with the beer can still in it and, like, that one beheading where he, like, hangs the head, like, outside. Like, that movie was made for, like, $3 in a hand job, but still looks kind of awesome in the gore department. Yeah. Or even um, Dormant Drip Blood has a lot of gore in it. It looks like shit, but, like, they went for it. Oh, totally. You yeah. Know, like they really like it. Oh. All, but I think that's what makes Slasher so interesting is that it all, it's a weird thing that like I compare it a lot with people, particularly who don't like it and trying to like explain the fascination with them is that the, um, the formula almost becomes like the thing that keeps time and keeps the beat. Mm-hmm. And then it's sort of how everyone plays within that beat. And like the ones to me that are boring are the ones that hit everyone you expect. It's like, here's the intro with the first kill. Here's the setup. Here's like him slowly or slowly picking them off one by one. Then you get to the grand finale. Then you get to the final girl. Then it's like the reversal. Like those are the ones where you're like, Oh my God. Okay. Described urban legend. Yeah. But it's to me, the the ones that are the, the best is that like you see those elements, but it's how like, it's kind of like jazz, like how the notes are played around them. And to me, that's always been the appeal of these very low budget shitty movies that were really just dead teenager cash ins is that, it's all about watching like how individual, like each individual movie like plays outside of that metronome. Let's say I love, I love that. So if I can bring in another one that as a movie that I love a lot, but I want to ask, is it a slasher or not hostile? No, no, that was something totally different. Post saw the torture porn era, which is like the, I hate that term. I know, but I get it, but I I just don't keep hanging out with the friends. They're getting picked off one by one. They're, they're being killed by other humans. It just happens to be a group of humans. Well, there's, there's something to be interested. There's something interesting to talk about. And Martin brought it up like a little bit with the whole, with his thesis is that like, you could always subscribe to the idea that like horror movies are always a reflection of like the things that we're most terrified of in real life. And especially like politically, you know, like things like Texas chainsaw being like a response to the Vietnam era and how, you know, if your number was called randomly on TV, you were up. Like it's the same way that like how random, like the tragedy that happens to Sally and you know, her brother and the, the other teenagers they're hanging out with is that it's all about the, 
uh, uncertainty of death and how it can kind of swoop in at any moment. Then you get to the 80s and how, you know, the slasher movies were kind of a uh, mirrored reflection to the Reagan era and the excesses of that generation to where like slasher movies became to where Carpenter you know, was invading the safety of suburbia that had kind of uh, developed after white flight and, you know, the the 50s and 60s. Like, now you had a, a re-solidified kind of uh, suburban fortress, let's say, to where Michael Myers becomes just, again, sort of like Leatherface, that, that unknowable evil that penetrates that. Like, that's always been the big theory about that movie whenever you read about it critically. 80s is Reagan excess. 90s is postmodern revisionism to, like, looking at how, you know, nothing is the truth. Like you're living through Clinton and Lewinsky and how, you know, our politicians lie to us and can pervert, and pervert everything. And we feel like, uh, you know, reality television and things like Phil Donahue and hard copy are com- becoming big. And that, you know, scream is all again, a reflection of that, of like, how do we rewrite the rules for ourselves as we kind of move along through life? The aughts is the reclamation particularly through, you know, French New Extremity and stuff like High Tension. And then you don't have the next boom yet. But where I'm going with this is that torture porn to me was always, not just me, but I mean, this is also like another critical theory. I can't remember who penned it, but being a reflection of like the the terrors of our era is that stuff like Saw and Hostel too was like, things that were like images that we were seeing coming out of like Guantanamo Bay. It's like, that was the thing that was perverting our psyche at the time. So why not make movies about torture when like torture is constantly bombarding us on the news? So that's how I always saw it, I guess. Yeah. And it's, um, cause like, was it Robin Woods return of the repressed article? Yeah, exactly. Big ones where it was also one of the things, this is actually what, um, even Hitchcock started to do with Psycho. Psycho is considered like a proto slasher in a couple ways, like elements of it. And um, the idea that the hotel room being an unsafe place, like the bathroom, all these places that were considered like these safe places before. And also the idea that, you know, up until even that time, like, you know, Hammer was not, was still going on. Like, there was still a love for the trappings of like old school horror of castles and gothic, and, and horror. gothic horror and going overseas and it won't happen here or or taking a wrong turn, but not in your neighborhood, you know, like not down the street from you. And the fact that like, you know, Michael Myers, while he is this faceless killer, he's also a kid from that neighborhood in the end. You know, he was like birthed by it was like, can you give birth to evil? Yeah. Like can and it's beyond your control. But it's interesting, Cody, that you asked because like I that's why I love slashers too, is like these conversations come up and that it is a genre. Again, it's like slippery and like, and the, the boundaries are a little bit hazy sometimes because there's even elements sometimes to Freddie that don't match up because he's, he's so supernatural, yeah. you know, and, and he has more in common, I think with Hellraiser sometimes and the kind of the, the type of horror and the, the special effects than a Jason. Like, I feel like Jason and Michael Myers are like, they're in the same genre. Yeah. They're bros. They're bros. And it's like, One's in the one's wasn't, in the town. Wasn't uh wasn't sorry, wasn't Jason a, a ripoff of Michael? Yeah, direct yeah. ripoff. It yeah. was literally the the impetus, let's say, that Sean Cunningham calls Victor Mancini and says uh, Victor Miller? Yeah. Uh, Victor Miller, I'm sorry, and says, uh, you know, Halloween's making a bunch of money at the box office, let's rip it off. Well and they even they they bought 
the name and put the variety article right the art that out for Friday the 13th they didn't have a script yet you know um but it's interesting um yeah I just I can finish out this question too like yeah my my top stuff it's like you I'm kind of split like it depends on what I'm in the mood for I mean for me like you just can't beat Halloween I know it's just like the basic answer but it's just you know it's fucking awesome um I love the burning. I love watching the burning. I love like that's a film. I think that that riffs the way you're talking about. Yeah, a the, little bit. Also has one of the best casts ever in any. Slasher. Oh, it's ridiculous! Like Jason Alexander, Holly as the Hunter, cool guy. As the, yeah, yeah. Uh, Fisher Stevens, um, Brian. I gotta watch this. That one kid from Fast Times. Whose Brian. Name I always forget. Um, Backer. Brian Backer. Holly Hunter in the background as an extra who like doesn't do shit, but she, but but also one of the best death scenes on a, on the um on the raft. You know, the one thing you don't see in a lot of slashers is a killer take out a lot of kids at once. Yeah. And he literally takes out like five kids. And like, that's that whole sequence that was butchered by the MPAA because yep. Tom Savini just goes fucking off. And it's awesome. Um, great. Ooh, another one that would rank high in mine, My Bloody Valentine. That's uh, actually top five for me. From Canucks, yeah. like in terms of just like exploitation, like I like how that movie sets a time and place for itself and like the characters... That's one of the downfalls of like slasher movies is the fact that like most of the characters are usually unlikable. And My Bloody Valentine, you actually kind of want to hang out with that whole crew of miners, and it's awesome. Plus, the killer is amazing. Killer's great. Got a great look. I just got the Screen Factory pre-order with the, the figure for that to go with my setup there. But My Bloody Valentine's great because it's another movie that I think plays with the form a little bit and also that sense of mystery we're talking about with certain slasher films, you know, like sure. the, the, the false, like the false, the whole flag, Harry Warden, Harry Warden and, the, and the, the best end song ever, I think in a slasher film, the, yeah. the, the, the ballad of Harry Warden. That's great. And, but like the, the idea of it's working class, that's the thing too, is like not as good as Alice Cooper's man behind the mask. Nothing's probably. as good as that <laughs> or I mean, not a slasher, but the fright night by Jay Gal's band as well. Ooh, that's a good one. Um, but that, most also like slasher films. There's all, some good music in killer party. Very good music. And you know, but all these kids are like very, they're all kind of, they're usually white middle-class kids or upper middle-class yeah, and, and archetypes and archetypes. And but like when you have like my buddy Valentine's so fucking weird because they're not going someplace cool. It's like, no, we're in this shitty Canadian town and we just got out of the mines and it's like, we're all, so excited for the Valentine's day dance. And it's a Valentine's day dance. And everything is like, it's like cold as fuck looking out as a Canadian. Everything's like drab, like strip mall. Like it's a yeah. depressing ass town, but it sets the, it's like a Bruce Springsteen song. Yeah. Like the whole feel to it. It's like the coal miner's daughter. Yeah, exactly. It's but like, everyone dies. Yeah, it's like John Sills made one with, <laughs> with a killer. <laughs> All right, next question. Next question. Um, so I had a question about pranks because the original setup for this was about pranks. And the, the film is like, even without the kills, we talk about the, cat, the kills being kind of you know backloaded in this film. There's still like like what four or five fake out kills, right? Where it's like the yeah. guillotine, some real elaborate pranks, but really elaborate. I want to know how they set up the girl getting drugged by her feet into the next room. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, not at all. Well, and drugged in the room, but also like down, not, not didn't fall on the stairs because it's like the stairs are right there. Yeah. But my question is, what is the best prank you've ever played on someone that you're willing to talk about, or I, best or best prank you've heard of? I, I can go first on this one if you don't. Was what you did? To, yeah, sure. I actually got my wife so good um, a month or two ago. 
And uh, so I ordered these remote Bluetooth uh, socket plug-in things, right? So you, you plug them into a power strip or whatever, and then you plug your light or whatever you're going to plug into the Bluetooth into that. And then you can turn that light on and off just with your phone. So I bought a few of those with just intentions of having them because it's convenient. Uh, I, I install them on uh, the, the, the main lights in my living room and then the uh, bedside light on either side in my and my wife's bedroom. So there's one on the light on her bedside table, one on the light on my bedside table, and then one to the main lights in our living room. Uh, as I'm driving to work that night, I was working a, a night job, uh, this grand idea comes to me. <laughs> and so I, I wait for her to get home. I know about what time she usually gets home because she calls or texts or whatever when she's leaving work. I know it takes her about 10, 15 minutes to get home. So I wait until about that time. Then I call her on the phone. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm just getting home. I was like, hey, will you, will you go in the, the living room? And I think I can't find my hat. I think I left my hat somewhere. Will you look and see if you can find it? She's just like, oh, yeah, fine. I'll go look for your hat, I guess. She's like, it's sitting right here on the table by the couch. She's like, why? I don't understand why. And so as I'm talking to her, I, I pull up the app on my phone, and then I hit the light for the living room. And uh, this is the one next to the couch. And it turns off and then turns back on. And she was like, uh, that's really weird. I'm like, what? What's going on? She's like, oh, this, I don't know, this light just like flickered and turned, went off and went back on. I was like, oh, that's strange. And I hit it again. And then it, so it goes off again, comes on. And she's like, oh, uh, what the hell? That's, I guess this light's like messing up or something. That's, that isn't, that's strange. I was like, yeah, I don't know. That's weird. So you have my hat. Would you mind if you take it into our bedroom and just like put it on my dresser? And she's like, yeah, sure. Fine. I'll take your hat. So she goes into the, the bedroom and I can kind of pace in my head where she's going to be. And I had left the bed, like I'd left the power to the lights on, but I didn't leave them on. So she walks into the bedroom, goes to put my hat on the dresser. And then I hit both the bedside lights at the same time. So those turn on and she's like, what the fuck? And I was like, whoa, what's going on? She's like, uh, both the lights in here just like turn on at the same time. Like it's kind of stressed. And then I just hit, start hitting both of them and they both just like going on and off. And she screams on the phone she's like, oh my god i don't know what's going on this place it's like a cuckoo it's like yeah it's like some, some uh what did she say what is the damn show some stranger thing stuff's going on and then she, she starts crying and as she's crying i am cracking up laughing this suddenly feels cruel <laughs> i'm crack. i know it did i didn't, I didn't expect it to go that far but i'm cracking up laughing i'm like babe 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 it's it's, it's a joke it's a joke i got these things plugged them in and then uh she goes from crying to silence to click. She hangs up the phone. <laughs> and then two minutes later, she texts me, I want a divorce. <laughs> and then five minutes later, I call her, she picks up and she's like, that was amazing. That was a really good one. I'm going to get you back so hard. She hasn't yet. But so hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was my best, oh, that one. best prank. Nice. Sir, Jacob? Uh, I created a false identity and didn't pay taxes for five years. Nah. Yeah. Uh, Roxy Dickskin. It's actually the name of my cat as well. I named her after the prostitute from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I just filed uh, like multiple tax returns in her name, and you know they're still waiting on like twenty thousand dollars. I pranked the United States government, and you know what? It was a pretty good one. Um, what was her social security number? Uh, five five five. Pause. <laughs> Um, mine's a, what my brother did, but I think it's just the best prank I've ever heard in my life. Um, so this was in, uh, 
summer session when he was in college, he was working on campus up in Minnesota, and um, he had a roommate uh, named, he had roommates Quinn and Matt, and Matt was a, uh, a TA for a summer session, I think, of like chemistry or something like that. And so he was like a senior, going to be a senior, and it was all the freshmen doing remedial or like summer classes. And his grandma would always send him cookies and Tupperware. And it would just be a couple times a summer, uh, a couple times a month, just like, hey, something is over to you, thinking of you, like very sweet. And my brother and his roommate said, you know what we should do? is we should we should shit in that Tupperware and send it to him in the mail. So never mind Cody, your prank is no longer abusive. <laughs> yeah. So they shit I thought this was gonna go a whole different direction. So dark. So they shit in the Tupperware and they burp it so it's airtight, right? So you get all the air out. And then they find a wrapping that she had sent and saw her handwriting and they wrapped it in brown paper and they wrote on the outside, um, because he also was taking classes, uh Enjoy the cookies. Good luck with the finals. And but they went like a couple towns over to make sure it wasn't sent from the same town. And they shipped it from the the post office there, and they sent it to his on campus uh, box. And they're waiting for like a week. And then a week and a half goes by, and they're just waiting for him to come home, and, like oh, say, no. or him to come back with the, the the whatever. And it's about two weeks go by, and he comes in. He's like, "You fucking." Assholes, like what? What happened? Whether you know, playing dumb. So he's like, "Well, I got these cookies from my grandma, and I decided, you know what? I'm not going to eat them now. I'm going to save them for my class during the final." <laughs> and so he hadn't even opened it yet, and he gets up in front of the class. He goes, "All right, let's get." Eating. I brought a special treat for you all, and it's a two-week-old shit bomb that had been festering in this Tupperware, and they had to evacuate like the first floor of this. <laughs> Oh, this building. So, I'm guessing, was this like a non-translucent? It was non-translucent. Yeah, it was, it was opaque. Open? Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's disgusting. Yeah. That's incredible. But I love that story. I think yeah, it's, it's great. Yeah. Um, but next question. But you didn't pull that prank. Uh, no, I didn't. Um, I don't know if I have anything like great. This feels like subterfuge on your well, part. Well, I, I, mean, I don't have anything... I just like I wanted to tell the prank story. It's a good prank story. Okay. There's nothing. I mean, mm-hmm. he uh, he tricked this news anchor lady into thinking he sold mattresses, I, so she'd put them on the. Yeah, news. I was gonna say. I feel like this is all a ruse so that he can keep his mattress king job. Yes. Um, but next question. Next question. Um, oh, we're on to the couple of last questions here. So, a uh, double feature, Cody. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Um, other party movie. Go to go to Jacob first. Let me think about it. Jacob. Anguish from 1987. Uh, Zelda Rubenstein. Oh man, Matt Lerner. I want to say is or Michael Lerner is his the character actor who was in like um, a bunch of Coen Brothers stuff. He always plays like kind of like a smarmy bad guy if you ever see, especially in period pieces. Very short, squat, usually gray hair. Oh, yeah. Um, but he plays the son of Zelda Zelda Rubinstein. Sorry, it's a Spanish movie where she is a hypnotist who hypnotizes him into becoming a serial killer who goes around town cutting out the eyeballs of his victims. But then we realize this is what ties it into Killer Party, and particularly 
the intro to Killer Party is that we realize what we're watching with him becomes a movie that somebody's watching within the movie. This young girl uh, in this kind of shitty one room like theater. Uh, she's watching it, getting totally freaked out. You start to hear her thoughts over the movie as it's going. And then we realize that a killer is stalking the theater that she's watching while this other things going on. And then later the movie intersects with reality to where we can't kind of figure out what's happening or who's watching who it's almost like I just saw this for the first time last month, like during my, my usual October binge of like 40 or so movies. I'd never seen this before, bought it from a diabolic DVD because they had a blue underground sale and blue underground I've collected their stuff for many years, but I never realized they put this movie out. And it's one of those things that people exhumed it, even played it as like the lead movie at one of their 24 hour thons. One of the two in their history that I missed, it was the lead film. And I would now kill to go back in time and see this with an audience because it becomes one of the ultimate like treatises along with like death proof and funny games about movies, about why and how we watch slasher movies and violence in horror films. And then it kind of comments on itself because by the end, like the, I don't want to give too much away because I want us all to watch together. Cause you said you hadn't seen it, right? Martin. And you haven't seen it, Cody, no. dude, this is 86 of the most mind bending minutes I've experienced in my entire life. It's fucking awesome because by the end, the killer is taking the main like quote unquote final girl. Cause it kind of also plays with the idea of the final girl, but in a fun way that I want to talk about, they're being hypnotized by Zelda Rubenstein on the big screen while the killer in the theater is holding her hostage. And you're just like, what the fuck is even happening? It's so awesome. 100% total. Like this is a face melter. Like this is something that we have to watch together because I couldn't believe it. I immediately started texting other friends like after and was like, have you ever fucking seen anguish man? And they're like, yeah, dude, like out of its mind. That's my double feature. 1987's anguish. Cody. Yeah. Uh, Michael Jackson's thriller music video. No, um, um, that actually isn't a bad pick. It's not. Uh, so I say that jokingly, but half serious, but no, um, happy death day. Let's go. Yeah, I like that movie a lot. Yeah, his yeah. follow-up comes out on Friday. Yeah, freaky. freaky. Can't wait. Oh yeah, that looks good too. I'm excited. Wait, do you prefer Happy Death Day one or Happy Death Day two? I prefer Happy Death Day one. Really? Me yeah. too. I two was I like one was just so refreshing and 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 cool and fun and and it was it still it stuck to the whodunit you know slasher genre without going too far out and then two I felt was just like too far outside of it and also a lot more comedy element which I almost feel like two would be the better double feature with this movie because it's looser a lot the way the killer party is like one is pretty tight like it, yeah, it but figures it's out so its own elements to it also. oh yeah, yeah yeah but my point is more like it's plotted tight it's great like two has all it has the time traveling dorks and it has the the multi like the multiverse theories and the different killers and blah 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 and like the different the different outcomes and timelines and stuff to where by the end you're almost watching like the slasher version of my science project to a certain degree. Or he like, said Back to the Future 2 was his main inspiration, which is like the, yeah. you know. Because it's Chris Landon, right, mm -hmm. who's yeah. directing him. Like he, to me, is doing like, 
he's doing what I wish John Hughes movies were is that they're actually commenting on teens that feel fantastical, but has something to say, like all of the, I think I actually prefer two to one for the whole hook between her and her mom. That's really good. That fucking kills me. Like I cry so hard at that second movie. Like I actually, the first one is another one that weirdly gets me like emotional, but the second one I straight up cry at, especially with so the you're final saying scene you love between your mom more than you love your dad. Well, it also is a sense of timing because when the movie came out, my mom had just gotten diagnosed with like breast cancer. And I went to the press screening like a week or so, like after they had told me and I was like, uh, like, <laughs> like just kind of totally like dying, especially that final scene between, um, her and her mom. What what is it? Uh, what's the main character's name again? I forget her name. Yeah, because she has a fu- tree. Tree yeah. is the the. She has like a funny name in it, but it's like her and that moment with her mom where she meets up for the birthday at the restaurant is like where she basically asks her like the question like if you had to change something but like lose somebody but you could be with the person like dad essentially again like would you do it? And she's like, well, everything kind of changes and dies, and you're like, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Those movies are great, though. Oh yeah, they are. Yeah, yeah I think he's. I'm. I love. That's. I, I actually skipped it in the theater the first one because I was like, I'm. A lot of times with like modern, bigger budget films, I'm just. I, I'm hesitant right up, right off the bat. You know, it, it looked marketed really poorly. It looked kind of cutesy. The the preview did. Dude, birth for the first one. Birth movies. Death wasn't going to review it, and I was like, I will go pay and watch this movie and review it for us. And I went at like an eleven o'clock showing so I could have the review the the same day, and was like, this is fucking awesome. What does this have? And then it became like the number one movie at the box office that week. No, it's really good. And then I I was like, I went the Thursday night. Like early screening for part two because I was like so excited, you know. Um, so yeah, double feature for me. I mean, it's just got to be final exam. I know I've mentioned it a couple times here, but um, I love the look you're giving me, Jacob. Boo. Um, I final exam is another film that like weird school slasher scene in that one or school shooting scene. There, in that yeah, one, there is the a kid, with the frat boys like stage the school shooting. There's a lot. I mean, like in most films of that era, like there's just stuff that would not fly today. That film is particularly offensive for that scene. But they, they stage a fake shooting. So a guy can get an 82 on a test. So yeah. His parents will keep paying for his Corvette. Um, and I, what I, it's interesting when you said earlier, I really love your idea, the kind of idea like jazz riffing, you know, or you, you get like the form and say, okay, you can, here's your sandbox, but you can get a little bit outside. And like, that's a film that was like, we're not going to break any rules. Like they really, like when they made it, yeah. like you were saying about, the you killer know, doesn't even have a mask in that. He doesn't mask. He's, he he's looks just like, a dude. He looks like Anton Chigurh. He's got the bowl cut. Yeah. The same jacket. <laughs> I, I think that Anton Chigurh physically was designed to look like him, at least in the film. But, um, I wouldn't put it past the Coen's like who watch everything. Um, but they, I like the film because it's so by the numbers, but it can't sure. help have some original moments like Radish. Sure. Like the character Radish is like, I think one of my favorite slasher characters ever and is considered the prototype for Randy from Scream. Like a lot of people say that yeah. Ken Williamson even talks about Final Exam in Scream 2. Yeah. So it's like the idea is like, it's a movie lover, horror, like obsessed with horror. He, he knows all the rules and they kind of, they don't go all the way with it. Obviously the same way they did with, with Randy, but um and it's a good college slasher. I mean, I just love the way they use the school. 
They had no fucking money. Is that Canadian too? No, it was actually shot in like South Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah, Laramie. No, sorry, uh, Isometric Community College or something like that. Uh, they used a couple locations, but it's like a community college or, or just like a local, local college, but really low budget and they squeaked by, got it done. Um, and I just love the whole college setting. So, all right. That's it. Uh, all right. So then I'll start with you this time. Uh, remake or no remake? Could you? Would you? Should you? I don't know. I feel like that question almost doesn't apply to this movie because <laughs> yeah. the slasher. I mean, you technically have had other movies that are exactly like it. Yeah. So, sure, I guess. Like, it would be fun to remake this or like April Fool's Day. Did they ever remake that one? No. I know. Like, you, you could totally do it and almost make it into the meta, like, commentary on slashers that this one seems to border on maybe being, but, you know, I guess, sure. <laughs> Give me two million bucks, we could make it in, uh, here in Austin. Similar answer, yeah, I feel like it could be the, the, the re-envision, like, the, kind, of, kind of like a, a scream re-principling where the, the same thing, you're, you play by the rules, but you're breaking the rules, but you're not directly stating the rules. Um, the double fake out in the beginning. And it's also kind of a horror comedy. I feel that could definitely fit in with today's um, cinema world. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's... Landscape. Thank you. I've, I think it's doable. Yeah, I think along those lines, Cody, like, the way I, I wouldn't want to remake it, but I think it'd be interesting if there were some, like, amazing modern filmmaker who loved it. You know, who had, sure. like, I'm trying to think of an example like that, but even... Cabin in the Woods? No. Um, <laughs> but a film... Or, like, someone, like, outside the box, like, David Gordon Green comes in to, like, remake Halloween. Yeah, or, yeah, or, or the weird... I, mean, I love the Suspiria remake, but that kind of thing, where it's yeah. like, you know... And I don't think Luke is even that big a fan of the original, it seems like. No. Um, but... Well, to, no, he said that it was... He's a huge fan of the original, but didn't want to remake. He just didn't. That's right. He knew he couldn't remake it because, like, I remember interviews with him always being like, Suspiria was one of his, like, earlier memories of being totally just enraptured by movies. But that's also why he was like, I can't just remake Suspiria. I got to make it my own thing. And I, sorry, I'm sorry. It was the writer who never saw it. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the guy who, he wrote it. Two? Uh, no, it's a different. I think it's a different. I forget his name, but like, yes, he's never seen it. And like, good. Yeah. Like, don't watch it. Um, yeah, I would do something like that. Like, kind of like an art house director who like just happened to love it. You okay. know, and then hey, go crazy with this and use it as like. A what if like Amy Simons like remade? Yeah. Final exam. Like that'd be just cool. Made something weird. Yeah, and I think like it is a film that has like a really like really strong female characters. Like th- like three, they're all very likable and like have a realistic relationship that sure you know like a female the, the female remake of the craft which i have or the re, soft reboot i started and i couldn't finish it yeah it's I, not great i was excited because like uh lee janiak was attached for a bit and then it kind of went through a diff- few different directors like after, yeah. after she did honeymoon she was attached to that. there's a reason blumhouse kicked it to the curb like it it's bad okay well great um last question face melter no face melter cody i'll say yes the the double punk intro the the breaking the mold the holding all the kills to the end yeah I think it uh, it subverts expectation and it uh, holds you to a different standard and it's a face melter. Jacob, no, it's um this is part of the answer I wanted to hold from earlier is that to me this is the very 
definition. If you were to like look in the dictionary under the word curio, which isn't a real word, but like if you looked at it, like this is the definition of a curio, like it's a curiosity. It's a, it, it's a weird thing that you recognize, you, like you recommend to a friend who, you know, has seen everything. You're like, Oh, you like slashers. Have you ever seen, you know, killer party? Like, that's what this is to me. Like if I was at the video store still and somebody came in and was like, oh, I've seen this, I've seen that, I've seen this slasher, I've seen Halloween 2, I've seen fucking Nightmare on Elm Street, I've seen Blood Rage, like I've seen it all. And you're like, oh, have you seen Killer Party? And they'll be like, oh, no. Because they might appreciate it for like being, like we're talking about, like it's just kind of riffing on on this form without really giving a shit. Yeah, no, I think it's definitely a... a, a it's a deep cut, you know, the fact that like it, it just hasn't gotten a lot of write ups. It's not talked a lot about in like slasher conversations. It was hard to see for a long time. The DVD, it's still not readily available, yeah. you know, um, and well, now it's on streaming. So you can you can rent it on Amazon. But I would actually funnily probably say no, it's my pick. But um, like I think Manhunter was my pick and I said no for that, too. But it's, yeah, I said no for um Oh, for Cutter's Way. For Cutter's Way. Yeah. We don't pick these because they're face melters. We pick them because they're secret handshakes. Yeah. Pick them because they're fucking awesome. That's but right. I, you said earlier, like, this is the definition for me. They're like, I think this is one of the films I've picked that is only been a secret handshake for me. Because it's not the kind of film that most people come to naturally. Yeah. Right? And it's like... That makes sense. It, so it is a film where it's like, I literally have relationships with people where... Well, it's, yeah, it's what you were describing earlier is that you found it and you were like, I need to show it to people. That can also be a secret handshake movie, but not every secret handshake movie needs to be a face melt. Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, I think it has, I, I think, I mean, it definitely, like like Cody said, one of the things I like about this film is that it is unpredictable. I mean, because like, sure. you were like, dude, what the fuck is happening in this movie? Like, where are the kills? Like, I think I actually said that yeah, while we were watching yeah. it. Yeah, you and, did. You're like, we're an hour into this. But we've it's like, got, we got like one and a half kills. Like false, yeah. false start, you know, two false starts, then like two kills of old people for the first hour, and then like a bunch of deaths at the end with a lot of special effects. It's a weird fucking movie. Like you said it's a curio, it's a deep cut, um, but uh, still one of my favorites. All right. Well, that wraps up Spine Number Nine, 1986's Killer Party. Next week we have a pick by Cody, which to me. Kind of like Battle Royale, I think I'm already settled on its face melter status, but it's one of the greatest movies of I all too. time. Actually, um, uh, just just a caveat on this to to wet the lips of the listener, uh, Jacob, you actually introduced me to this film, so this is technically our secret handshake film. Oh, I didn't realize that was the first time you'd ever seen it. Yeah. All right. I watched it alone when I was 15 on an old VHS. That's probably not too far off from how I first saw it, but that's enough teasing. They're going to have to tune in next week. We rarely tell you what it is, and we're not going to break character this time. So see you next week from Secret Handshake.